The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. This is a very important message. I've titled it, Step into the Story. Now, we read the story, the Bible story, stories about Jesus, but this morning's message is an activation. I'm inviting you, and and let me even step back from that, I believe the Lord is inviting you and me to not just read the story, know the story, tell the story, but He's inviting every single one of us to step into the greatest story of all time, the story of God's love. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You that You… There's so many wonderful things that you are doing, and and we want to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the credit that is due your name. And, And we don't want to take it for granted. We are appreciative, and we need you, and we call out unto you. And I pray this morning that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to our hearts. It is such an important and powerful message. So, Lord, now anoint it in a fresh way. Uh, bring it to, to home uh, to each one of us. We ask it in the wonderful, worthy, and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 13, um, and if you want to write down your first uh, life lesson here, Jesus begins doing something new. So we're right around halfway through the Gospel of Matthew, and suddenly Jesus makes a turn and He begins teaching in a brand new way. He begins uh, a lot of what are called in the Bible parables. And a parable is an earthly story but it has a hidden meaning or a divine meaning or a heavenly meaning. So, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, we read, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to Him, so that He got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, up until now, most of the time, Jesus has been teaching in homes, home Bible studies, which are tremendous, and we have them here with Martin Sanders. We encourage all of you to get involved in that and become part of that, especially this new outreach coming in September. Um, And so Jesus taught in homes. He would teach in the synagogue, but there was a point where a home was not big enough, and even the synagogue was not big enough. Whole towns and communities that dot Uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the farmers, the fishermen, they're all coming to Him. So Jesus went out into a little, into a boat, and the people would be there on the shore, and and in that area, we know right where it is, uh, it's a sloping hill that goes up to a mountain behind, and it forms a very beautiful natural amphitheater. And so beginning of verse 3, then He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and then the birds came and devoured the seeds. And some of the seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, 
they withered away. And then some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying there's a deeper meaning, there's a spiritual meaning, a heavenly meaning, a divine meaning for those who can hear it. So what I want to begin by saying is there is a, this reminds us there's a very thin line between the visible world of nature and the invisible world of the Spirit. Um, There's a lot of people that just, I think, in a very childlike fashion, think, well, you can't see heaven or angels or all of that stuff, so because I can't see it, it must not be there. Well, we know that, I mean, I, I find it fascinating. In a modern world where we've got all these scientists and everybody else, we know that, in fact, everything that is visible, everything that is visible is made of things that are invisible to the naked eye. When you go down to the atomic level, uh, it's so small you can't see it. But we know for a fact that it is actually there. So the the macro world, the micro world, dwells simultaneously. So when the Bible says that that God embedded in nature, like this world is not unrelated to the other world, the spiritual realm. In fact, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, everything within nature is a mirror of a divine truth in the heavenly or spiritual realm. So when, you know, people will come up to me and they go, well, you know, man, I, I feel close to God. I know some people, they go to church and whatever and services, but man, I feel, I feel closer to God out in nature and, you know, in the midst of all of that. When I was younger, I would argue with them, no, because I'm a pastor, you need to be in church. And, but now I go, well, you know, I kind of get what you're saying and I agree with you. Um, you are close to God. When you're on a mountaintop, you're at a lake fishing, when you're under the sky and the stars at night and the rivers and the animals and the birds and all of that is embedded. It is literally vibrating with spiritual reality. And in fact, nature reveals things about God. Number one, it tells you he's, there's a creator. He is powerful. Uh, he's majestic. He's artistic. Uh, we can learn certain things. But there's a limitation to nature. Nature can be like God vibrating and pulsing through creation, his beauty, majesty, awesomeness, and power. But for a personal word, for you to hear the Lord speak to you by name, then you need to get into the word of God. And that's why the teachings of Jesus and now uh, these parables, the Lord is going to use natural, the natural realm to reveal spiritual realities. Why are the parables so important? Uh, For one reason, at least one-third of all Jesus' teachings was done using parables. So to ignore them would rob us of great and deep truths. I also want to mention this particular parable I want you to pay special attention to. Because this parable of the farmer with the seed, and he's throwing seed liberally everywhere. Uh, he, he, throw, he doesn't get even careful on the edge of his property, man. He's just, he wants every literal square inch of his field to bear fruit and have a crop. So he is wildly, liberally throwing and casting seed everywhere. But 
The seed falls on different kinds of soil, and that's what the parable is all about. So this parable is foundational, this particular one of the sower, the seed, and the different kinds of soil. Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 13, do you not understand this parable, the one we're reading about now, the sower of the seed? He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the parables? So listen carefully. This particular parable is foundational. If you don't get this, you're not going to get anything else. And he's going to be teaching many, many different parables. So the question, why did Jesus use parables? Well, let's go to verses 10 through 15, because that's exactly what the disciples asked Jesus. It says in verse 10, And the disciples came and they said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to the people now in parables? It's kind of a new thing that he was starting to do and continue to do. And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have Even what he has will be taken away from him. There's a very powerful warning there. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So Jesus starts saying, look, there's a reason that I'm telling these things in parables to some that can hear it and receive it, and they they receive it in the right heart. I'm going to be dropping divine truths. I mean, supernatural truths, uh, secrets. That's what the word mystery in Greek means, secrets. And man, when you tap into the secrets of life and creation and purpose and meaning and the gifts of God and life of God and the calling of God, whoo, and and the Lord says, and for those, they're just going to keep getting more and more and more. But those who kind of have the wrong heart, as we'll talk about in a moment, and they're kind of out here with Jesus and already kind of judging him, and you got to measure up to us and meet our standards. And he goes, even what they have will be taken away from them. So I want to go through real quick. Um, why did Jesus use parables? Number one, because everybody loves a good story. And I want to just say the Bible is the greatest story ever told. It is, there is no better story. This is the story of the creator of the universe who made us. This is where you find meaning, purpose, Where'd we come from? Where are we going? What in the world is going on now? I don't know if you ever realized this as a human being, but you know, you, you didn't choose. You had nothing to do with being alive here and now. It's like when you're born and then, you know, you, there's stuff that happened before you. There's crazy stuff going on now. There's the future. You don't know what's going to happen. Have you ever gone into a movie kind of late and there's all kinds of action, explosion stuff going on, but you got there so late, you know, you weren't at the beginning. You don't know what's going on. And the whole rest of the movie you're trying to figure out. In many ways, that's, a, that's what it's like to be a human being. <laughs> we just got dropped in, boom, and we're eating popcorn, trying to enjoy life. And we're like, what is going on? 
That's why the Bible is very important, because it gives to us our origins, and it, and it gives us the beginning of the story, tells us what God's doing in the middle of the story through Jesus, and even tells us some hints and glimmers of what's coming when the kingdom comes and heaven and earth are married together. There's something about stories that stir the waters of the spirit of man. Um, and the Bible is the story of God's love. Now, my family, uh, when I think of my family, and I remember when I was little and my grandparents were alive, uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, he was a carpenter, and my uh, grandfather on my dad's side was a farmer. So that was their backgrounds. And I remember when we would get together and with the grandpas and the grandmas and, you know, aunts and uncles and stuff like that, for our family, our roots and where it came from, it's a family of storytellers. And one of the things that I remember and love and even now miss is, you know, we would get together and even as little kids, uh, when you could get my grandpas telling stories where they came from, kind of where our family came from. We didn't start in San Diego. It started way back in West Virginia and Oklahoma and uh, all these other places, and, and their stories of a whole different time, a whole different era. And they had a way of telling, you know, stories and these characters, and it was gripping. And we would get excited because, you, you know, whatever, some big meal that you would have, and then the kids would run around and they'd go, hey, Grandpa's telling stories. We would all run. Even as little kids, we wanted to hear the stories. There's something gripping about stories and being storytellers. So that's, that's kind of my background. That's how I grew up. So I'm drawn to stories. I don't know if you notice or not, but I'm quite a storyteller. Anyway, and I like to say all my stories are true and many of them actually happen. But anyway, let's go on to number two. <laughs> Parables both reveal and conceal. You can tell a story on the surface, okay, everybody knows a farmer and throwing seed and you got these different soils, so they can understand a surface level, but it also there can be a divine supernatural layer that not everybody gets or sees, and it can reveal, and you're reading the story, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you, connect the dots, and you go, oh, I see. But another person looks at it, and they're concealed. They're just like, so, okay, yeah, you throw, you know, seeds on a hard path, it doesn't grow, so what? What does that mean? So it can both awaken one's heart, and it can harden another. So that's another reason of telling parables. Thirdly, parables expose our hearts. It reveals our hearts to the prideful and hard-hearted they won't understand. They won't get it. They'll go, big deal. But to those who are humble and those who are teachable, not only do they get it, then they're spurred to ask more questions, so then does that mean this? And they're putting things together. So why did Jesus use parables? In this case, to hide the truth from those who would not listen to the Holy Spirit, but to reveal deep truths to those who were humble and teachable and ready to hear from God's Spirit. Now, the Bible says, and what Jesus says here, the, the sower of seed. The seed in the story and parable represents the Word of God. So, in all of the parables, in all of the stories, the seed represents the, the Word of God. How is God's Word like a seed? Number one, because a seed has life in it. 
If you are a farmer, man, uh, seeds are everything. The right seeds can be very valuable. And, and you know, the, if you want, because there's lots of different plants, lots of different crops, lots of varieties, even of the same, but you want those special ones. Uh, and so you want the right seeds. And, and so they guard them and they value them. It has life in it. And so also the Word of God has life in it. Unlike the words of men, the Word of God has supernatural life that will be implanted into those who believe. But the Word of God must go deeper than… You can't read the Bible like any other book. A book of, you know, information, which it has, maps, which it has, a history, which it has. Um, it, It has thoughts and truths, but it also has many, many more layers. The truth of God's Word must go all the way down what Jesus is saying in this parable. Like a seed, it needs to be planted deep within your heart, be cultivated, and then allowed time to bear fruit. Now, there's a scripture, uh, Peter talks about the seed planted in our hearts. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Let's read this out loud. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So when you were born again, the seed of the gospel, the story of Jesus, is a divine story, unlike any other story. It's a supernatural story. It's like a divine seed gets planted in your heart, and when you believe it, Because, you know, the seed has to find fertile ground so that it can germinate, so the life in the seed can come. And that's what belief does. Belief, faith, receiving it is what brings that germination within your heart, and you are born again. You are born of the Spirit. And while on the outward we don't see maybe a change, I believe in the spiritual supernatural realm, uh, there is all the angels see it. By the way, I believe the demons see it too. When a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl has the seed become life, and it's born within them, and they are born again, light, the glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes inside of that human being, at whatever age that they get saved. And that light is the life of men, and it will never fade away. Number two, like a seed, God's Word is small, and yet observe how powerful. You know, Bible is not big. Uh, it's words, but it has the Word of God in it. It's small. It's only one book from Genesis to Revelation, but it has tremendous power within it. Um, so, have you ever seen how a seed planted in the right place can be so powerful it's kind of mind-boggling? Look at this picture. There's a boulder, a big boulder, a heavy boulder, one you can't push, move, or pick up. And at some point, a little tiny seed got dropped into that rock. And somehow, there must have been a little bit of dirt, a little bit of earth, and it germinated. And then it began tinily to to little, you know, uh, roots began to spread, and then a plant began to grow. And literally from that seed the life in the seed cracked open a giant boulder, a giant rock. 
That is the power of the Word of God. And just like if you've been walking down the streets, down a sidewalk, and every once in a while you'll see a sidewalk in the corner, you know, a big chunk of the corner is all cracked. And then you look for the reason, because there's a plant, a seed fell and got planted, and it can crack concrete. That is the power of the Word of God. Look, the, the world is a, this, this place is a hard place. It's a place of many burdens, harshness, hardness, boulders um, that can be very limiting uh, to your life and your desires and your goals and your dreams, and you need something bigger than you, more powerful than you, mightier than you, that has life in it, that can grow and break open the hard places that are around you or hindering you or blocking you. And that's what God's Word is, and that's what God's Word can do. Like a seed, God's Word is extremely fruitful as well. God's Word, listen to this, the more of this divine seeds that you plant in your heart and in your soul, it bears heavenly fruit, divine fruit, uh, supernatural fruit. It it is mind-boggling. We don't have to wait until heaven to start experiencing heaven. Seriously, you can begin tapping into otherworldly, supernatural, divine, heavenly fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the presence of God, the tangible presence of God, the peace of God that gives life, that gives strength, that gives power, that gives joy, that gives faith, that gives ability to look forward, to see things, discern things before they come, to fight off, to have strength with you and around you when you go in this world because there's a big battle going on. And most are just getting whipped around by everything, but there are a few that like the light and the glory of God is with them and on them and goes before them, and that's what Jesus was. He was like a… He was the light of the glory of God, and all who walk with Him suddenly have that same atmosphere of the presence of the Spirit of God walking with them and on them and upon them, and you can have it here and now as the Word of God is planted in you. Amen? Amen. Okay, so… Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Let's read this out loud together. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. So, Paul's desire was, look, I got more letters, and he was being led and and divinely inspired to write what he was writing, like the book of Romans. And he goes, I can't wait to come to you and share more with you and teach more to you because I want some fruit within you, as among other Gentiles. So there's fruit that is born in our lives. And then uh, let's read Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. I want you to notice that in this, so as we read the Bible, these divine truths, I've mentioned to you that before there are 7,000, over 7,000 promises in the Bible from Genesis Revelation. 
So I want to remind you and, and challenge you as you read through the Bible and, and do it daily and do it regularly and do it routinely, be looking for the promises of God. Every promise of God, all 7,000 of them in there, are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. What that means is they're all for you. So we get included. It's not just reading about, well, God loved David, and God, he was a man after God's own heart, and God blessed David. You can personalize that journey of David, or whoever, the men and the women that are in the Bible, they were examples because God's Word is living. His promise to them then is still alive now, and He can't wait to do it for you as His beloved child. So we can claim them, we can own them, we can activate them, we can appropriate them for ourselves. Now, as you, you read in Psalm 125 here, uh, what it's sharing, he talks about some emotions, or Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Don't just read the Bible for information and for truths, which it is filled with divine truths, but it also, if you want the word, the seed, to germinate and to bear fruit, I want you to know that you are to read the Bible emotionally as well. Don't just read it uh, up here. This is part of it. There is information. There's truth. There's doctrine. There's teaching. There's things we need to know about how it works and what it is. And so that's one layer. But there are many who try to live their Christian life out of a mental place, and you are, that's, that's not all who we are. We also have a heart. We have a soul. The Bible, therefore, the best, simplest, direct way that I can say it to you is read the Bible emotionally. And, and if nobody's ever said that to you, let me encourage you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given? And if you've never done that before, give yourself permission to read the Bible emotionally. The most emotional person in the universe is God. He is extremely emotional on all, in all areas. He is he's passionate. And guess what? He made you and me like Him. You can try to tamp it down and say, well, I just try to hold it all in and try to be a good person and a nice person and just try to, I just want to, you know, life can be very emotional. I want to just keep it down here. And God is saying, no. He doesn't want you to keep it down. You weren't made that way. You'll blow up. <laughs> You'll pop. He made you to be emotional for a reason. So you can't deny it. It is what it is. Enter into it. But include that as part of your spiritual growth, part of your spiritual reading of the Word. Let the seed go into your emotions. And so that when it talks about weeping, you can weep. When it talks about rejoicing, then you can rejoice and you will have a much more fruitful time in the Word. And then the third scripture I wanted to share, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Sow the seed, not only uh, emotionally, but sow the seed with patience. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Let's read this out loud. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
So I want to, you know, encourage you that part of, look, there, there are many believers, they go to churches, but there are too many, and I think this is what, why Jesus started teaching these parables, there are too many babies. There's nothing, we love babies, we love dedicating them, and it's wonderful, and it's awesome, but um, if you're still acting like a baby, and you're 15 years old, we got a problem, Right? We want our babies, we want, we love them, they're so cute, but when they, you know, are looking you in the eye, you want them to not act like a baby. So you can't treat them like a baby. And when we try to teach them certain things about what it means to grow up, there are certain disciplines as parents that we have to teach our kids. For instance, (laughs) if you let your kids brush their teeth when they feel like it, how well would that go? It doesn't work. You got to tell them, did you brush your teeth? And then they lie and try to get around or whatever. No, please, you got to go and brush your teeth. Uh, you know, what if you said, look, make your bed and clean your room when you feel like it? How would that work? It doesn't work. Clean your room. Why? Because I said, you need to clean it. Take responsibility. What, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get them to grow up. And what it means is there's some basic, simple things of hygiene and, you know, general cleanliness that are kind of basics to no longer being a baby, but being a grown-up. Well, the same thing is true with our spiritual lives. You know, as I exhort people, look, you need to be, you know, they, they, they get into trouble. And so, you know, and they call and, okay, so let's get together and let's sit down. And so, tell me about it, and you're compassionate, and you're praying for them, and encouraging them, and pouring into them, and everything, and so how's it been, you know, what's the Lord been saying to you? And they look at you kind of like, you know, cross-eyed, like, what do you mean, what's the Lord? I don't know. Well, what have you been reading? You know, where have you been reading? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and then they try to remember, let's see, uh, I remember your sermon like two weeks, I don't, no, 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 I don't want you to tell me about my sermon. What are you reading from the Bible right now? And then you've come to find, well, I don't do that. How long have you known the Lord? Uh, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I go, hey, look, um, we're going to pray. We're going to get you through this little deal here. But listen, buddy, this, this, there's some thing we need to change. Because you keep doing this roller coaster deal, and every time you crash and burn, and then you run and get closer to God and get some you know, people to pray for you and encourage you and everything. But this is not the way life is supposed to be lived. You need some disciplines. Let's talk about, are you willing, are you ready to commit to where you're regularly taking responsibility, not waiting for the preacher, Sunday, or some seminar, or whatever, but you, God wants to speak to you from His Word. But you have to get in there, and you have to do it. And and so then I've had the ones, and they come back to you, you know, and and they're in trouble again. So, so what's going on? And, you know, and they said, well, whatever. And so have you been reading? Have you been, you know, talking to the Lord? And has he been speaking to you? And are you doing what he has been saying? Like, well, no, I tried that. What do you mean you tried that? Yeah, man, for a solid month, man, I went through the thing and I read every day for a month and then, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. Wow. For, you know, 30 days. You, you read regularly, and then you gave it up, and now, you know, three years goes by, and here you are crashing again. Look, it takes time, you, you know, patience. Just as a farmer, 
He, he has to wait for the rains to come. You, you prepare the ground. It's a lot of hard work to prepare the ground. And then you plant the seed, and you pull out the weeds and everything, and then you wait for the rain, and there's a season when the fruit finally begins coming up. But you have to be faithful in it. You have to be diligent in it. You have to take some responsibility in it, and with time and with patience, finally it will come, because the Word of God is powerful. Amen? So write this down. Soil is a great picture of the human heart. I want to share with you this morning, man is made, literally, the Bible says, from the dust of the earth. The same 93 elements that are in the dirt and the mud, little zinc, little copper, little this, little that, is what our bodies are made of. And then put a bunch of water in, and then God breathed into us. We are literally little living dirt clods. God made dirt, and, and then he, he formed man, and then he breathed into him. So what I want to say to you, though, is that uh, soil is very important to God. The earth only has so much of it. For those of you who invest, one of the greatest financial investments a person can make is in real estate. Man, you buy the right real estate in the right place, and you have to sit on it and wait for it, but with time it goes extremely up and high in value. It's a great investment. So God is into land. Even if I may throw in the whole issue of the Middle East and what all that, and then people go, oh, the land, it's no big deal. It's all about the spiritual stuff. And no, 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 no. Trust me. Real estate is very important to God what he does and his covenants and, you know, where he sent his son, where he died and rose. I mean, that, there's a reason that's holy ground different than ground anywhere else. But the whole earth is precious to the Lord and the soil that it is made, and it represents your heart. Your heart is precious to God. Jesus literally incarnated into human flesh and blood so that he could in that flesh, blood, and bone body die, be buried, and then like a seed, rise from the dead with everlasting life and power and glory. So it's very important um, that, that we realize the Word of God. I, I remember that… Um, uh, let's go to verse 19. Well, I'll give you the next one real quick because i got to bring this forward. If, if you have a hard heart, be prepared to be broken. Uh, Jesus says… In verse uh, 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. What it means is, so that the farmer's got seed. He wants, man, I want the biggest crop I can have. So he's throwing his seed liberally. Let's say this is the edge of my property. I don't own this. This is the road that goes next to my property. He's thrown the seed everywhere. He wants every square inch of his land, and he doesn't want to miss even one inch. So some of it gets onto the path. Now, the, the seed that lands on the path where everybody walks every day, it has not been prepared. It's not been, there's no grooves. There, there's nowhere for the seed to go, so it just sits on the top of the ground, and the birds come and eat it. It's like free lunch for them. Jesus said that's sometimes what it's like when my word in the gospel comes to a heart that has no room in it. It's just hardened. 
and it, and it doesn't bear anything. So here is uh, my prayer for some of you. Uh, look, read with me Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Let's read this out loud. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness upon you. In order for that seed to germinate, that hard ground needs to be plowed. So I know that there are some who listen to me, and, and you know, the heart is just hard. It's just never, uh, there's no uh, crevice, there's, there's no furrow, there's nowhere for the seed to go. So I want to say a word to you. God still loves you, even those who have a hard heart. And I pray that everyone who hears my voice and hears these words, and you have a hard heart, and the seed cannot penetrate your heart, in the name of Jesus, may God bring you a broken heart. May He use whatever it takes to bring, and sometimes it's sharp iron edges that finally carve a groove into that hard ground so that a seed can literally go down into the soil and can be planted and germinate and bring life. For your own good, may the God of grace and mercy bring brokenness into your heart so there's a soft place that He can bring His love. Talk about the power of God's Word and patience and and all of that, I had a guy that came to our church in El Cajon, his, his name was Joe, and he said, man, I love you, Pastor Ray, I love this church, and he was there, he was there early every, he was there weekly, he was there every Sunday morning, and he stayed afterwards, coffee and donuts, he went on retreats, and then his wife came up crying, went to him, oh, and I go, what's the matter? And she goes, my husband, he's not a believer. I go, he's not? I go, man, he's like, he's like one of, he's a front row guy, he's like, so he's, you know, she goes, yeah, he thinks you're really nice, and you're kind of funny and interesting, and the church is filled with nice people that do good stuff, but he thinks what you guys believe is nonsense. I was like, really? So I went up, I said, hey, Joe, you know, and he goes, yeah, he goes, look, he goes, a lot of good stuff, I, I have nothing against Jesus, but he goes, I don't believe in the resurrection and heaven and all that, when you die, that's it, you're, you know, whatever. It's like, wow, Joe, okay, so it went on, but it had been several years, and then one uh, Sunday comes up, and he got tears in his eyes, and, and I go, Joe, what's the matter? Is somebody sick? Something's going wrong? Whatever. And he goes, no. He goes, man, you were preaching today, and all of a sudden, he goes, man, it just hit me. The Word hit my heart, and it was like scales were taken off my eyes. I go, oh my gosh, this is all real? This is true? He goes, I believe. What's wrong with me, man? And there he was. He got saved. He got saved. But it had, it had taken a long time, and some grooves had been cut into his heart. Some pain had come into his life, and all of a sudden, his little philosophy wasn't making it for him, and there was something about the richness and the depth and the power and the reality of the promises of God that connected and germinated within his heart, and he was saved. Very powerful. All right, look at the next one, verses 20 and 21. He says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when the tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So uh, here it is, if your heart is shallow, be prepared to do the hard work of removing stones and hard places. The soil in Israel is littered 
(laughs) with rocks everywhere. If the rocks are not removed, you will never be able to have a crop, let alone a harvest. And it's hard work to get them removed. And there's some people that they come, but they've got a shallow relationship and a shallow faith. And when persecution comes, they dry up and they blow away. And this can, you know, represent the emotional hearer. They hear it, they go, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus. And then, but there's no depth to it. It's just too shallow. They're not willing to do the hard work of facing the truth about themselves, about their situation. And and they, they don't, they spectate. They come to church. They don't worship. They listen and maybe sing, but they don't engage in worship. Uh, they listen, but they kind of are listening in a way if their body language would be kind of like this. Yeah, he's kind of interesting, and he's got some stuff to say, but I will judge what I agree with, what I don't agree with. I'll pick and choose. They're listening to me as a man. Yes, I am a man. But when you come to church, despite, it doesn't matter, me, any other pastor, whatever, if somebody's opening the Bible and they are opening the Word of God and you are listening to the Word and you are reading the Word, I guarantee you every time the Word of God is read and it is open and it is shared, you want to hear God will speak to you. The Lord wants to speak to you. And to have that humility uh, where you are able to receive the Word. Don't let life choke you out. And then verse 22. Uh, Verse 22 says, Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So I want to say this. The apathetic heart truly needs deliverance from demonic strongholds. There is a sinful nature and a demonic, you know, stronghold that tries to depress you. It tries to hold you down. Um, to get you apathetic, especially in the spiritual things. It's funny. There are people that will go to a church service, and they go, I don't know why. When I come to church, I just get sleepy. I just want to go to sleep. You know, and they say, your voice is very sweet. I go, wait a second, though. I mean, God is speaking, but they go, yeah, you know, I just talked to somebody last service, and they, and they were just saying, yeah, I, whenever I, God's ready to speak to me, and this dullness comes over me. Look, the end, it can sometimes, I'm not saying always, but sometimes it can be a spiritual kind of oppression. The enemy wants to put like this heavy, wet blanket on you. And what he wants to say is that, you know, those others that are getting, you know, excited or activated or passionate or whatever, it's like you, you just feel kind of suppressed and you just don't have the energy. It's like, I just can't be bothered. I don't want to get into it that much. I don't want to lose control. And you're just, but at the same time, you just feel always kind of suppressed. It's like you can't really let your heart out and engage and be connected. You don't have the energy to break free or to be different or to enter into this river of living water. And so it's kind of a low energy, and the enemy is like, keep, you know, as long as you stay down here, I'll leave you alone. That's what they say. They lie. But they go, I'll leave you alone. But the moment that you want to break free and get involved and engaged, say, Lord, no, I want this apathy, this weirdness, this dullness, this confusion. I need to break it free. 
then in the name of Jesus, may the Lord deliver you from satanic, demonic, uh, suppression, oppression. Sometimes uh, you know, people that come in and they go, man, I, I got this illness and I don't feel right. And I go to the doctors and they say it's this and they say it's that. And they can never figure out what in the world it is. Have you ever thought maybe it's something spiritual? And in a moment, we're going to deal with that. But the last one I want you to look at is verse 23. And interestingly, only one out of four kinds of hearts is fruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. In other words, they believe it, they receive it, they engage it, they activate it, they exercise faith, they're ready to be obedient, they step in, and who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. It's individual, but the heart that is broken and teachable will bear great and mighty fruit. Amen? Amen. All right, so close your Bibles for now, and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, because I want to bring an application to you right now. I'm going to ask Kayla to come out, the worship team, but I want to ask those of you that, in particular, the third category of, of, you've got some soil, you've got real seed, and and it's growing, but you feel like you're being choked. Uh, it's stressful, and you just can't seem to break free, and you feel kind of like constantly suppressed, uh, or your energy, you can't engage, or it doesn't feel real, or break free, or whatever. And I want to just say that I I believe that there are many uh, that are under a spiritual kind of uh, battle, and, and it's an oppression And Jesus said, you know, he told us, you want to grow up, then you got to you got to look up and see that that there's a real battle going on, and and uh, you've got to enter the fight. You have to recognize the source. Okay, it's not physical. It's not just you know circumstance. Something else is going on. You have to recognize it, and then secondly, you've got to actively begin fighting against it. That's why Jesus said, resist. He didn't say, you know, he he wants you to engage, and you have to come into agreement with him. He's willing. He he wants to, but he's waiting on you to engage in faith. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say this morning, okay, that's me, I'm in that, and by the way, we've all been there, and we're all there, you know, one time or another, degree or another, it's the normal Christian life. But if you are at this moment in a particular time where it's oppressive and heavy and annoying as all get out, and you recognize it, you're ready to deal with it, I want to come into agreement with you. I want to, as your pastor, I want to pray for you, and I felt led of the Holy Spirit that this weekend, this is a very powerful connection for right what's happening right now with your people. So if that is you, and you want to step into agreement with me, it's not me so much seeing it, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, the risen one who said, you gather in my name, even two or three, I'm right there. I'm looking, I'm watching. And I will engage when you engage. I'm ready to exert my power, but you got to choose it and step out in faith. How many of you say, that is me? Just put your hand up for the Lord to see You want to be counted in on that. Just put it up. 
And then you can put it down after you've raised it. All right, let's lay hands on one another as the body of Christ has come into agreement. We're mobile carriers of the Holy Spirit. So we release the, the Holy Spirit. You know, what do we mean when we release the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is living. Um, he's likened to a river, and a river flows. It's not stagnant. It moves. So the Holy Spirit, like a river, can flow through you. When you pray, when you use faith, even through the laying on of your hands because He's in you. But when you pray and engage faith, there's like this river of His strength and power and life that minister to other people. And you get blessed as well. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and many hands that are raised uh, that are Lord, as I try to describe what I received from your spirit of a heaviness, a weightiness, kind of like a big, heavy, you know, wet blanket that just drops over them and constantly keeps them down and discouraged, and they're tired all the time and fatigued, and they don't know, you know, what to do. So now we're coming into agreement to recognize the, the demonic aspect of this. And we want to recognize this is the enemy, his lies and his accusations. And therefore, together, in the name of Jesus, we recognize it and we resist the devil. We renounce the devil and everything that he's trying to do to discourage your people. So now I want you to pray with me, if you would, just for a moment, out loud after me, because I want to engage you with your mouth, your heart, your words your emotions as we do this together. Let's pray if you're willing. Dear Lord, we come together in your house, in your Son's name, the mighty name of Jesus, and we open our hearts, and we raise our hands, and we pray for the outpouring of your Spirit. Come upon us, Lord. Anoint us afresh with your Spirit. We recognize the lies of Satan. We recognize the demonic strongholds. And we renounce them. We reject them. We resist the devil. May his curses be broken in half by the power of your blood and the glory of your resurrection. And may I in freedom worship you and love you in spirit and in truth, without fear, without anxiety, and without holding back. To God be the glory great things He has done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.